0: My parents raised me Buddhist. Well, sort of. It's kind of a long and complicated story. I made a show about it, actually, called Dear Franklin Jones, if you're curious. But suffice it to say, I wasn't raised around the more conventional religious traditions that are commonly practiced in the U.S. As a kid, that made me fascinated by them. I used to make my mom take me to churches, just to sit in them and watch people perform their particular religious rituals there. Kind of funny to think about it now, this six-year-old insisting that his hippie parents chaperone him on a trip to the Catholic Church. But I think what impressed me was the deliberateness of it all. The incense, the prayers, the physical motions. It was powerful, whether or not you believed in what the motions symbolized. And that is something I think we can all relate to. Whether you're an artist or an athlete or a mathematician, our passions come with a practice some physical expression of our discipline. And the repetition of that practice in itself is profound in its own way. And for some, it's not just about passion. It's about the soul. Those practices are more important than anything else in their lives. More important than life.
1: We will get through this, and then we will come together again, and we will celebrate again, and we will be joyous again.
0: How do we continue to have meaningful rituals?
1: And in this moment, any chance you get to find that joy, to hold on to that hope.
0: When we're all still stuck indoors.
1: That is so important.
0: From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, of close, and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Our producer, Kate Mishkin, has a story about how she's trying to get closer to her religious community during this tough time.
2: I'm Jewish. And practicing my religion is kind of like a team sport. The team part has been hard for me lately. This is a time when, for many of us, it's important to be part of some sort of community, which is something I've been on the hunt for a long time and that I've often found in Judaism.
1: There are things that you ju- you actually can't do
2: unless you're in a gathering. That's Rabbi Rose Perceiver. She's one of the people who runs New Roots, a group for young Jewish people in Los Angeles. She's devoted her career to helping young people understand what Jewish life looks like for them. And right now, she's trying to help her flock figure that out when we're all stuck at home. And lately, I've been attending her events, learning to be Jewish, alone, not easy. There are a lot of things you can't do. There are some prayers we can't even say unless we're in a group of 10 or more people. Like when someone dies,
1: you're supposed to sit in a group and mourn together for a week. You're not supposed to mourn alone. You're not supposed to be alone in these, like, critical moments.
2: You're supposed to grieve together. And this is a big part of why being Jewish is important to me. I need to share life's moments, the bad ones and the good ones too, with other people.
1: And, you know, if no one experienced joy in other people's happiness, we wouldn't go to engagement parties or weddings or anything else. But the power of feeling those moments together...
2: Rose isn't exactly a traditional rabbi. She doesn't just stand in front of a lectern at a synagogue. She's finding creative ways to bring young people together. It's one of the reasons I like her.
1: Mostly working with artistic communities and at the intersection of spirituality, Judaism, and and creativity, sort of reimagining what Jewish life could look like and, and helping people sort of find that deep meaning. I only
2: learned about New Roots in the last few months. My friend Judd told me about it. I'm
3: happy to talk to you about this Jewish community stuff.
2: Judd grew up going to Jewish day school, and he was in a Jewish fraternity in college. He sounds a lot like the friends that I had growing up, who were always preparing for their Rot mitzvah and going off to Jewish summer camp. But that's not how he sees it.
3: My affiliation tends to be more on the social context.
2: He's in it for the friends. And I am too. I wasn't really raised with the religion. I'm Jewish by blood, but my parents never really found a temple that felt right. So I never went. Actually, we celebrate Christmas in my house. I know that's kind of bad to admit, but it's true. And despite all this, I've always felt a tug toward Judaism. And as I've grown older, I've felt more Jewish. I was actually just kind of finding my place in Judaism when this pandemic hit. And ever since, I've felt this profound need to create friendships that are rooted in something deeper. Judd says New Roots is more casual. It's why he likes it. Other Jewish groups aren't always that way. Actually, they can be kind of boring.
3: You know, they sort of feel like the same sort of thing after a while. I was sort of looking for a community that didn't really subscribe to, you know, the normal way that people experience Something together.
2: He's actually pretty new to the group, too. His first event was just this past Hanukkah. But after finding New Roots, he dove in.
3: I've appreciated how welcoming they have been, because I've sometimes felt like an outsider when I join a new club. But in general, with the New Roots events, they've made it very easy to um, sort of assimilate into it. And it's not just for Jewish people, though. It's targeted towards that, I guess, demographic. That's exactly the vibe Rose
2: is going for. Jewish life reimagined. At a time when life is being reimagined for so many of us. Who could have fathomed where we are today? Socially distancing? Afraid of strangers? Living daily life through Zoom? Coronavirus has challenged our routines. But it's also disrupted some of our most sacred traditions the ones we've passed on from generation to generation. The Jewish holiday Purim falls in early March. It's about honoring the Jews who revolted against the Persian Empire. They mobilized, killed their enemies, and celebrated. Nowadays, we celebrate with a huge festival. Most Jewish holidays are on the somber side, but Purim, it's a party. There's a lot of wine and food. Also, because it happens in March, it's the first major Jewish holiday of the spring when we can all go outside again. In Los Angeles, at least, coronavirus just barely nipped at the heels of Purim. In the first week of March, a lot of synagogues still celebrated, just with more hand sanitizer and elbow bumps
3: instead of hugs. This year, I celebrated
2: Purim by going to a New Roots event.
3: It was at Judd's place. I had a small group of people listen to records chosen by me, and we uh, had a discussion with some questions So I was really happy that New Roots was able to sort of help uh, co-create that with me. And I think the people that came were really interested. We had a great conversation during it.
2: But as the weeks passed, the stay-at-home orders were issued, and things changed faster than we were prepared for, the idea of gathering in person quickly became a non-starter. But Passover was right around the corner, April 8th and nobody wants to skip Passover. As far as holiday dinners go, a Passover Seder can get pretty lively and a little weird in a good way. We talk about the 10 plagues, boils, and locusts and spill wine for each one. But underneath all the ritual, there are stories we preserve and pass on to every generation. It's a chance once a year for us to honor the profound symbolism behind the stories of our people.
1: Which couldn't be more important this year. Has there ever been a moment to, to tell this story in our lifetime that has felt more pressing? Um, you know, we're sitting in, a, in the middle of a literal plague, very much feeling that loss of freedom.
2: At the beginning of a Seder, the youngest person at the table is supposed to ask four questions. Here's the first What makes this night different from all other nights? For me, the answer is easy it's about community. And this year's socially distant Passover allowed for a chance to close the physical distance,
1: to create that community. I got to do Seder for the first time um, in eight years with my family in the UK, because suddenly I could, I could do it virtually, and even my grandmother in her 90s was on there. <laughs> so, and at the same time, there was that, that feeling of um, familiarity. <laughs> in that it was just as as wonderfully chaotic and, and disorganized as, as normal, and sort of, in some ways, the Zoom thing. Um, but it also, the fact that everyone was coming at it from their own space and their own time, and that everyone had sort of brought something to the table and felt that responsibility, I think, slightly more than if you were, were sitting in person with one another.
2: There's an expression, a saying, that you always say at the end of the
1: Seder next year, next year in Jerusalem. And, you know, it, it, it's not about necessarily that physical place, the city or, or, you know, but but what does it mean this year to be talking about the fact that, like, there will be a next year. There will be a moment when we will be out of this captivity and, and able to sort of live our lives and make our choices again.
2: Now, Rose is a rabbi. It's her job to know about Passover. But me, I don't always do a Seder. In fact, a lot of years, I haven't gone to one at all. My family doesn't do one, and I've spent a lot of time living in places without a very vibrant Jewish community. But I like celebrating Passover. I think the Seder's special. And I always leave feeling a little bit more connected. That sense of connection feels a little bit like a lifeline. It's like an antidote to this crazy, lonely world we're all living in right now. This year, as Passover came closer, I realized I actually didn't have a plan. So I tried something way out of my comfort zone. I'd heard about a synagogue that was setting up virtual seders. So I signed up and I was paired with a group of about a dozen random people. Now this might seem obvious, but it's a little hard to all sing in unison through Zoom. We could all use a little bit of practice or stronger Wi-Fi. It was fun, actually, singing with these random people over Zoom. There was something kind of liberating about being among total strangers, but feeling the sense that, of all things to do on a Wednesday night, we chose each other. We were all supposed to dress like a plague, so I wore all black and dressed as darkness. I couldn't find any of the traditional foods in my house to use, but I did find some red wine and some parsley. It was kind of a DIY Passover. So when you thought about reimagining Jewish life, was this something that even came to mind?
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, we value the act of being in presence with people so much that it's been particularly hard when you're in a community that is so focused on that one-to-one engagement, that is so focused on um, what it means to sit in community, to really feel that presence of the person next to you, um, to actually hear their stories, to to sort of know them, to, to sort of be with your family, to sort of focus our entire life around the act of being with one another. We can't hug each other, sit next to each other, or
2: even see each other. All of these new connections and friendships, they're all on pause. But we can take the time to focus on our relationships people all across the globe took to the internet to celebrate holidays this year. Those who celebrate Easter and Ramadan got just as creative. But in some more strict Jewish tradition, there's a particularly sticky issue cropping up in the age of Zoom. Electronics aren't allowed. Practically speaking, different families deal with this in different ways. For some, it could mean using candles instead of flipping a light switch.
1: Some families just put their cell phones away for one night. This obviously is completely unprecedented. And has really changed the landscape for a lot of people about what they are willing to do. And and again, this sort of ties in for a lot of them with this sense of critical need. That community can be a critical need and the absence of those connections can be extremely damaging to people. That it, you know, really can lead to crisis.
2: I think what she's saying, if there's a time for an exception to the rule, this might be it. We can't just turn our backs on
1: one another right now. Communities are not just synagogues, and they're not just shutting up shop and saying we can't do it now. <laughs> they're saying we, we are still committed to all these values and ideas that we had previously, and we're going to make sure that that happen. But New Roots has also gotten pretty creative, moving their traditions online. Some other things we are planning, we've been planning this sort of four-day pop-up festival that we do every year called Collective Escape. This year, they still
2: had workshops, workouts, even a storytelling night, all online. One of the events was a big dance party on a Friday morning. You heard me, morning. They called it "Awake and shake.
3: I can't remember if I showered or not, but I do remember I sort of dressed up cause I was like, I'm going to be on video. So I got to at least wear something I'm proud to wear. And um, yeah, I think I wore the, a good outfit like some yoga pants and a fun shirt jacket that I could sweat in.
2: (laughs) About 20 people logged onto Zoom, tuned into a playlist and danced together.
3: I actually told my parents that I was doing it since I'm at home right now. And they did stop by and they looked and they, they were sort of laughing at the ridiculousness of me just dancing and watching other people dance on a screen.
1: Being able to share that with my daughter, and and who never gets to come to my work experiences. Suddenly she's on the bed behind me, jumping up and down and on my back, and we're dancing in the living room.
3: I felt like I was really connecting with other people, though I wasn't in their presence. That's where I
1: find my faith, is in in seeing the way people behave to one another and, and seeing that sort of hope and joy that springs from it.
2: Like so much about the religion, even the dance party has a deeper meaning.
1: We came out of Egypt and we stood across the river and, and the first thing we did when we crossed the sea is, is we danced. You know, Miriam led us, we, we sang, we danced. We, 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 like, we embraced that joy in that moment.
2: I've been thinking a lot about who we'll be collectively when this is all over. What lessons we'll have learned from this pandemic? What stories people in the future will tell about us? This is where being Jewish comes in for me. I want to be able to process these major events among other people who see the world the way I do. How do we make sense of what's happened this year? I asked Rose about it.
1: It's not going to be the same. Life is not going to be the same. You cannot live through this and not feel that things are different to see the inequalities that are being so clearly exposed if you didn't know about them before how can you miss them now to to recognize the things that we hold dear that we really understood in this moment are so important to us and not necessarily the things that prior to this we 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 made a priority we didn't always take the time to go and see someone we didn't always take the time to, to pick up the phone and call. We didn't always take the time to, you know, sort of live in that moment. Remember that, like, this, this will end. Even if it doesn't feel
2: like it right now. And even being alone in my room on Zoom, finding ways to access something deeper than myself is helping me cope. I don't know how I
1: would be if I, I didn't have to be hopeful and joyous for my daughter. I like to feel like I would still find this, but I think I would probably, you know, knowing who I am, have spent a lot more time hiding under my covers crying. and, And I don't have that option right now. And then to know that like, this is terrible and awful. And some of us will be suffering for a long time afterwards, but we will get through this. And then we will come together again and we will celebrate again and we will be joyous again. And in this moment, any chance you get to find that joy, to hold on to that hope, that is so important. Take five minutes to go wild around your room. Go outside and bang some pots and pans and scream your support for the health workers. You know, sit in the sunshine any chance you can get. Just find what it is that you need to remember that this is not it, that there will be another side to this. There will be a next year. And sometimes it feels like that next year will never come.
2: But in the meantime, we're building on these relationships and getting closer, waiting for the day when we can finally be together in person.
0: Thanks to Rabbi Rose Prezever and Judd Lieberman for talking to us.
4: You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host, created it, been doing it for seven years.
0: Every week, we've been receiving these emails, messages on Twitter, voicemails from listeners. You're telling us about what your lives are like and what you're going through. We want to share one of those stories with you. We recently heard from Jenna Amatuli, who lives alone in Brooklyn, New York. Even in the best time, it's hard to connect with people in a place like New York. It's hard to find love. For Jenna, this time in isolation creates a new kind of loneliness.
4: I've been waking up the last couple of mornings with this like very severe tightness in my chest, which I know is anxiety. and I had this moment this morning where I was just like, I wish I could just like look over and talk to somebody about this like oh, how nice that
2: that must be And it's it's not that I suddenly realized, oh, I'm single and I didn't know that before. Um, I think it exacerbates issues that are kind of already existing and puts them into a really distorted bubble where now I'm looking at it where I'm like, oh,
4: Will I ever meet someone now? What's going to happen if this is the reality of my life? Now, if we can't go outside, how, how does one meet someone while in isolation? Which,
2: again, am I being melodramatic with that assumption? Yeah, but when you're living alone in a single bedroom apartment, your brain tends to spiral.
0: That's Jenna from Brooklyn, New York. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of engineers, editors, and producers that make up Neon Hum Media. Today's episode was reported and produced by Kate Mishkin. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. Our editors are Vikram Patel and Catherine St. Louis. Our engineer is Mark Bush. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NeonHumMedia. Join us on Facebook by searching for Telescope. We want to stay connected with you during this unprecedented time in our history, so please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you wish to share with us, please email us, pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. We're halfway through the week. We'll see you on Friday.